Hi everyone, welcome to the first episode of our new podcast, Cold Coffee and Crime Cases, where we ask the question, how much do you know about the lives of the victims of the world's most popular true crime cases? So I'm Josie, I'm 19, I'm from Swansea. My go-to coffee order is an oat vanilla latte. And I first got into true crime by watching BuzzFeed Unsolved. Big fan <laughs> of BuzzFeed Unsolved. They're now, they're now Watcher. Yeah. Who's next? My name's Willow, I'm 19, I'm from Aberystwyth. And my coffee order is an oat iced latte. And I got into crime just honestly by watching like crime TikToks really. Just love all the unsolved crimes. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, hi, I'm Gabby. I'm originally from Manchester. Uh, My go-to coffee order is either a cappuccino, really boring, or if it's the summer, then it's gonna be a uh, Caramel ice latte with oat milk. So you know you nice. got it. You got to have some seasonal, variety, of course. seasonal options. Seasonal variety. And uh, I got into true crime by watching like it just started coming up on my TikTok, and I found it really interesting. And I have like a really short attention span, yeah. so having like people explain crimes to me in like less than thirty seconds was it, and I was in. Honestly. And now here we are. Today's episode, we're going to be talking about Jack the Ripper. Does yes. anyone not really know anything about Jack the Ripper? To be fair, I don't know that much. Like obviously, I know like the brief what everyone knows but yeah yeah not I, like. I don't know i don't know loads so jack um, the ripper is actually heralded as like the beginning of the rise of what we know to be the modern sexual serial killer he wasn't the first one but he was the first one to like stand out mm. to the public to the police and kind of be like a national and now an international thing a lot of people are confused by like the actual general lack of motive, apart from the fact that all of his victims were prostitutes. Apart from that, no yeah. one really knows why. Was it robbery? Was it like revenge? Is it like mercy killings or like trying to like make the world clean, so to say? Yeah. No one really knows. And actually, what a lot of people love about Jack the Ripper is that not love about him, <laughs> but what a lot of people find interesting about him is that it's kind of like the first of like your classic who done it things. Mm. Where it's yeah. like, oh, we never, and obviously we still don't really know. Yeah, do you Before know, that's we... one of the things I find most interesting about him, the fact that he was never yeah. found. And like, like the letters to the police and stuff, yeah. like, dear yeah. boss. I think that's, that's so weird. You know, when serial killers have a little thing. Yeah, they have a little niche. Have a thing, you know? <laughs> have a thing. If you're going to be a serial killer, have a thing. At least have a thing. <laughs> so, out. before we get into the canonical five, I just really quickly want to cover someone who is maybe like it's debated if she was his first victim so do you guys know anything about emma smith i do oh, not i do not know emma elizabeth smith who is emma potential first victim of jack the ripper <gasps> she was born in 1843 she was a prostitute you know fits yeah, fits, fits the theme notably she was a very close book even to like her closest friends no one really knew anything about her because she just didn't didn't really want to tell anyone she told her friends that she was a widow who had separated from her husband 10 years before he died and she would always say that she left her previous life behind and no one really knew what that meant but a lot of her friends said that she had an air of culture to her and to her speech that suggested that actually she came from quite a comfortable life but left all of that behind. And actually, there's there's a really great quote that she reportedly said, they would not understand now any more than they understood then. I must live somehow. Kind of tells us mm. maybe why she left yeah. her life, because she felt like she needed to live. So files gathered during the investigation were found to be missing, taken, or just, like, misplaced. During the movement of the files from the Metropolitan Police Archive to the Public Records Office, 
But in the surviving records, she's said to have had a son and a daughter, and they lived in Finsbury Park area. Yeah, so Emma was stabbed with a stick or... It, it says stick or iron instrument Ooh, on her right. way home uh, the day after Easter Bank holiday. All right. Um, okay. She then got to her lodgings, mm. told the deputy keeper, uh, Mary Russell, and then like a fellow lodger called Annie Lee, that she'd been attacked by three men who were looking to rob her. But this was never confirmed because she fell into a coma in London Hospital and then she passed away without ever regaining consciousness. So the detectives were literally, like, waiting next to her bed, waiting for her to wake up to be like, is this true? Like, your friends have told us that you were attacked by three men who tried to rob you. Is that true? But we don't know. Um, And then the duty surgeon, uh, Dr Hillier, revealed that a blunt object was inserted into her vagina. And this is why people think that she is a potential first victim, because... It's got that sexual component to mm. it that all the other killings have. And then, listen to this, right? right. <laughs> Journalists of the time really wanted to exploit this. This was gonna, mm. this was gonna sell papers. Yeah. This is one of the most notable false stories is the murder of Fairy Faye. And just let me know if this sounds familiar. Okay. Fairy Faye was said to be murdered the day after Boxing Day bank holiday. She died of a stabbing by a stick or iron instrument. That sounds slightly familiar, yeah. That's what you just said. Yeah, it's literally the reporter tried to remember everything he could about how Emma Smith died and just made up a name, just Fairy Faye, which it comes from a poem. That's so It's a beautiful name, to be fair. Yeah, it is. Sounds like a book character. But this person doesn't exist. (laughs) This person doesn't exist. It was just to sell papers, but in a lot of writings, even now, you will see the name Fairy Faye come up. That's so cool. Oh, wow. she was the Ripper's first victim. Seriously. And she's That's not real. Crazy. She like no. she 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 doesn't exist. Yeah, so Emma Smith, potential first victim, but we will actually never know. And we've got another potential first oh, victim. Oh, okay. I like her, this. Her name yeah. is Martha Tabram. Mm-hmm. Okay. Have you guys heard of Martha Tabram? I have not, not heard of Martha. I hadn't either. Mm-hmm. So she was born in 1849. She was the youngest of five. Her parents were separated. They separated around 1865, and then mm. her father died not long after that. Um, she's described as five foot three with dark hair and a dark complexion. And by 1869, she was living with Henry Samuel Tabram, and they married that year on Christmas Day, which I think is quite nice. Yeah. And then by December in 1872, Martha and Henry had two sons, Frederick nice. John Tabram and Charles Henry Tabram. Martha was a heavy drinker. She's described right. everywhere as an alcoholic. Okay. <laughs> and by 1875, Henry had had enough and he said, I'm, I'm not going to live with you anymore. This is too much. Oh. And he gave her a weekly allowance of 12 shillings. And oh. he gave her that allowance every week for three years until right. she accosted him in the street asking for more money. Oh. After which right. he reduced it to two shillings and six pence. <laughs> <laughs> so, cut her off. Uh, yeah, and he stopped supporting her when he found out then that she was living with another man. Oh, right. Well, yeah. This yeah, man, I mean, fair. This man called William Turner, although in some sources he is Henry Turner. Oh. <laughs> but we're going we're gonna to call him William, William. for today. Yeah. He was an occasional carpenter. He's been described as a, not always a carpenter. Just occasional. Just an, every now and then. Yeah. And he used to, like, hawk trinkets and stuff. Him and Martha moved in together in 1879 and the relationship was also strained by her drinking problem and it caused apparently frequent separations, so very 
on again, off again, love affair. Yeah. And he last saw Martha alive on the 4th of August near Aldgate Pump. And we're not really sure when they stopped living together, but after she moved out, she was staying in just in a lodging house in Spitalfields under the name Emma. And this is when she turned to prostitution so she could afford her rent. On the 6th of August at 10pm, she'd gone to the Two Brewers pub on Brick Lane with a fellow prostitute called uh, Marianne Connolly and two soldiers. And they like drank throughout the night. Mm-hmm. And then at 10 to 5 on the 7th of August, a man called John Saunders Reeves found the body of Martha Tabram lying in a pool of blood. And he immediately ran to find an officer. The officer called a doctor immediately and the estimated time of death was around 2.30 a.m. So she'd been lying there for about three hours. So, no. sorry, what date What date was she found dead? The 7th of August. That's crazy. Wow, okay. This is, this is very interesting. Yeah. yeah. So she'd been stabbed 39 times. 39 wow. times? Yeah, so among those injuries, there God. were five <laughs> wounds to the left lung, two to the right lung, one in the heart, five in the liver, two in the spleen, and six in the stomach. So Yikes. He really wasn't messing around. No, no, really. he's, no he's, he's not messing around. So all the runes were made with a regular penknife, except for one, which was a stab to the chest, which was made by, like, a longer, sharper weapon. They are saying either a dagger or a sword from the end of a bayonet. Wow. And so. because of potential bayonet, people think that, you know, well, maybe, maybe it wasn't Jack the Ripper, maybe it was one of the soldiers. Mm-hmm that she'd been drinking with. So there was no sign of, like, sexual intercourse or anything, but there was a lot of blood from between her legs, but they never really confirmed if that was, like, a sexual component or what had happened there. Yeah, and that is... That's Martha. That is... That's Martha Martha Tabram, drinker. Heavy drinker. (laughs) And that's it, really. Heavy drinker. Her only personality trait, apparently. Yeah, Yeah, and now we are on to... The Canonical Five. The Canonical yes, Five victims yeah. of Jack the Ripper. These are the people that people are actually going to mm, know about. Mm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. who's going first? Okay, I think it's me to go first, which yeah. is quite scary. But I did a bit of research on Mary Ann Nichols. And the reason why I said this is going to sound quite interesting is because there was so much in what you just said about the last person that is the same. Do you know what? I was literally thinking the same about mine. No way. How weird. Right. Yeah, I was literally reading it going like, I feel like, I, I feel like I've messed this up now because I know. Yeah. No, <laughs> like, literally, there's so many Have I Googled the wrong person? He had a type. Yeah, it's he really like had he a type. did his background research. He really had a type. Yeah. Or maybe maybe that was just how all women were. Maybe. Back maybe. in the day, heavy drinkers. Yeah. And prostitutes. Maybe. That's exactly that's exactly what I got for, for Mary. She was a prostitute and she was an alcoholic, as they all apparently dabbled in that kind of lifestyle. Yeah. <laughs> So the thing about Mary Nichols is she was found. Oh yeah, this is a similarity in Spitalfields. That was like her last like point. Yeah. So it was also um, Dr. Reese Ralph, and this name is Welsh, and I've got two Welsh people in the room. So I'm gonna just <laughs> pass this it? over because word? I don't know how you say that. Llewellyn. Yeah. No. Llewellyn. Llewellyn. Thank you. Thank you, token Welsh people. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so he arrived at Buckthrow at 4am on the morning of August 31st. Um, that was where her body was found. He noted that there was a wine glass and a half of blood in the gutter at her side, but there's no doubt she'd been killed exactly where she was. Ooh. 
five Ooh. teeth were missing, but I think she always had teeth missing. It's just part of yeah. part of the lifestyle. Uh, a slight laceration of the tongue, a bruise running along the lower part of the jaw and the right side of the face. It might have been caused by a blow from a fist or pressure from a thumb. There was a circular bruise on the left side of the face, which might also have been inflicted by pressure of the fingers. On the left side of the neck, about an inch below the jaw, an incision of about four inches. On the same side, but an inch below, commencing about one inch in front of it, a circular incision, which terminated at a point about three inches. So it's all like around the face and the neck. No blood was found on the breast, either the body or the clothes. There were no injuries about the body, just about the lower part of the abdomen. So how many, how many is that? Several incisions, we just said several. Mm -hmm. Several incisions running across the abdomen and that was about it. And all injuries have been caused by the same instrument. So that was why I asked like, what's the date she was found yeah. when it was like, there's this many wounds and she was found by this guy. And I was like, whoa, that's what I've just, yeah. that's what I've just looked up. Yeah, because <laughs> the thing is, is that because obviously the records are all so messed up from mm. yeah. back then is that these could be the same woman. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It could be. Like these could women. these could be the same yeah. woman. Yeah. Especially because a lot of a lot of women all went by like different names. Like Martha went by Emma sometimes. Mary Mary Jane Kelly, who we'll talk about later, she went by Marie Jeanette. So like, yeah. right. Mary, this one is also Polly. Like, yeah. At the start it's like she's Mary Nichols and at the end it's like Polly Nichols was pronounced dead. So it's like That's who are so... the who are all these people? Yeah. I feel like they were changing their names quite a lot. I don't know if you guys got this, but like they would just like decide they wanted to be called something else and just like go with it. Yeah. So like it's so easy to like mm-hmm. lose them along the way. Yeah. Very interesting. Another thing I find yeah. interesting is she had a similar thing um with I can't remember what you said about the last victim, but Mary Nichols would get an allowance from her husband. But, but he cut off this allowance when he found out she was a prostitute. So she was actually oh. working as a prostitute before. So I don't quite understand why they you know they had they lived together. They had five children, but she was still having to having to live like that, and he was not happy about it. So no. he yeah. cut her off, and that only just you know increased the need for her to work as a prostitute, yeah. which I think we can safely say is something that Jack the Ripper didn't approve of. No, yeah, I'm not gonna a fan. guess. <laughs> not so fan. no, not a fan. So she lived with her father for a while. Her father was well, he testified at the inquest to her death that she was a dissolute character and a drunkard who he knew would come to a bad end. Ouch. That's not very nice. No. That's not very nice. And she had to move back in with him and then she wrote a letter to him that's quite long and it's actually quite nice. So I won't read it out. <laughs> it's just yeah. like about her when she finally moved out into this lodging house in Spitalfields, which is where she was living when she died. Oh yeah, she was seen leaving the frying pan public house on the corner of Brick Lane and Thrall Street. So for any of you who live close to Brick Lane, for no reason that I'm bringing that up, literally around the corner. <laughs> for no reason. <laughs> for no yeah. reason. It might be on your corner. Yeah. You never know. Could no. well be. Don't know where the frying pan is. I think it's shut now. Quite sad. <laughs> she indicates a, a little black bonnet, which no one had seen before. So the thing about the bonnet is that she was, like, found... Like, that was what was seen. That was what witnesses saw, but it was like she'd never worn it before. Yeah. So it was a bit of, like, yeah, again, the, the case and the profile's just not really matching up no. because, like, you know, 1800s, you know, 17th yeah. century police work mm-hmm. is questionable, what, mm. is what we've also found. yeah. yeah. She meets her friend Emily Holland, who she shares she shares the lodgings with in Spitalfields. Polly had come down Osborne Street. Holland described her as very drunk and staggered against the wall. This was at about 2.30 in the morning, and she is found at about 3.45 a.m. Hmm. by right. a police officer. And she is the first one, well, she's the first canonical victim, which 
kind of starts off a lot of the patterns that or a lot of the things that she had yeah the drinking the prostitution the kind of strained relationships the being out late at night you know yeah. these women kind of they all have friends who are all in the exact same situation and i think mm. you know even though these cases now these profiles are written to be like they were a prostitute that was what they had to do it's actually like actually all these women were completely together and yeah, yeah. completely in the same scenario and actually no, you know, absolutely. she found her friend drunk on the street and, like, was concerned about it. And mm. I think, I don't know, it's quite sad they all no, got is. murdered. Yeah. Which is why we're doing the podcast yeah. focusing on the victims, because yeah, it's really yeah. important Talk that we... Talk about their lives. Yeah, because yeah. I don't know if you guys found this with the victims or you researched, but with mine, everyone in their lives said that they were really nice people. Yeah. yeah. I have yeah. really, really nice people. Really nice yeah. people. That they were, like, even Martha Tabron, she just loved a drink. Yeah. Her family still said that she was a nice person. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. And she was a nice person. She was kind. She mm. cared about the girls that she lived with in the lodging house. She cared about them. Yeah. And they exactly. all cared about each other. Yeah. No, it is. It was nice. There was a quote here from uh, Emily Holland, who was the girl in the lodgings with Marianne Nichols, and she said, A very clean woman who always seemed to keep to herself. Another thing that just, just a fun fact that I find interesting is her dad at the thing said that she was nearly 44. And the East London Observer wouldn't have put her any older than 35. I, mean, I just think that's cool. Youthful. Yeah. yeah. Very, very Lovely. youthful looking, yeah. apparently, even though she had no teeth. <laughs> but you can apparently you can still look youthful. Yeah. Well, yeah. that's great. It's good to do both. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So the next one, I think I'm also doing the second one, yeah. is Annie Chapman. And the top of this page is Annie Chapman, a.k.a. Dark Annie. Annie Siffy, Sivy or Sivy, all spelt different ways. Wow. So again, the changing of the names. I mean, yeah. God yeah. knows. I suppose that's also a little bit of like illiteracy because it's all yeah, like... Yeah, probably. It's S-I-F-F-E-Y, S-I-E-D-E-Y or S-I-V-V-E-Y. So that's just people not knowing how to spell. And now instead of agreeing, she just has like five names, which is fine. So she was born in 1841 in Paddington, I believe. Yes. She had three sisters and she was five foot tall. Very short in Victorian times. That's another thing that I learned. Don't know if that's got anything to do with the crime. No. Very short people. (laughs) She was 47 when she died. She had excellent teeth. I don't know why they all report on the teeth. Really she good had, teeth. She had excellent teeth. Dentists love her. They probably didn't have dentists back then, but well, yeah, they would have. They would have loved her. Yeah. She suffered from tuberculosis, and it was rumored that she probably had syphilis, but she's described as having a drinking problem, but not described as an alcoholic. So I don't know why. Just a no. just a mild drinking problem, <laughs> yeah, I maybe. suppose. Just a minor yeah. one. Yeah. Not bad enough to cause concern, but no. bad enough where everyone knows. Yeah, yeah everyone people knows. knows. <laughs> Yeah, the quote is from her friend Amelia Palmer. Described her as so a sober, steady-going woman who seldom took any drink, but she was known to have a taste for rum. So I think she just liked, liked alcohol. Liked to she drink. She was a sober woman. Yeah. And she hardly ever drank, but she loved rum. But she loved rum. I mean, does rum even count? <laughs> does it? <laughs> it's it doesn't just count. rum. <laughs> yeah, so she got married to John Chapman on the 1st of May, 1869. She was 28 at the time. They had three children and they separated by mutual consent in 1884 or 1885, so no one really knows. But the reason is uncertain. A police report says that it was because of her drunken and immoral ways. So I think this is quite an interesting thing. Her female friends are saying that she doesn't really have a problem. She drinks rum when everyone else is drinking a lot and her husband says she's got a drinking problem. 
I think that's quite an interesting. Maybe, the maybe all just of, didn't like her drinking. Maybe all her friends were like too drunk to maybe. maybe. Like, maybe. Well, compared to us, she's fine. <laughs> she's <laughs> just sober. She's fine. <laughs> Trust her to. You yeah, know, drive my carriage. Designated carriage driver. <laughs> designated <laughs> carriage driver. Every friend group's got a designated driver, and if that's you, that's oh, you have that's to have you. one. That's why yeah. she only drank rum. Oh, obviously, yeah. <laughs> yeah. She's going to stay on the rum tonight. <laughs> Sorry, uh, guys, I can only drink rum. Yeah, I'm literally. driving the horse-drawn carriage. Yeah, yeah. 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 Someone's got to be responsible, you know what I'm saying? Of course. So, John Chapman semi-regularly paid his wife 10 shillings a week by post oh. office order until his death on Christmas Day in 1886. At the time of his death, he was living in Windsor. Uh, he died of cirrhosis of the liver. So, only who had the drinking problem, but it sounds a little yeah. bit like it's him. Yeah. Annie found out about this through her brother-in-law, who lived in Whitechapel, and on telling her friend Amelia Palmer about it, who we got the quote from earlier, she cried. Palmer said that even two years later, she seemed downcast when speaking of her children and how the death of her husband seemed to have given away altogether. So... She was feeling quite lost. Then, in 1886, so this is late the same year, she was living with a sieve maker named John Sivvy. We don't know whether this is a nickname or not. That's quite funny. That is quite... I know quite a few people like that. First name and then your last name is, like, what you do. Yeah, Yeah. isn't exactly. Because that's how they used to do it in the olden days, isn't they? You'd get your name after your trade. So yeah. it could well be. Yeah, so I think it might that just their be. Family was a long line of sieve makers. I mean, it's a niche, but it's his, and I appreciate <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah, same. <laughs> so they were staying at the lodging house again, not the same one, but in Spitalfields. Uh, he left her soon after her husband's death, probably when the money stopped coming in. So then, two years later, eighteen eighty-eight, she was living again at another uh, lodging house in Spitalfields. Later, after that, she was known to have a relationship with Edward Stanley, a bricklayer's mate. At the time of Annie's death, he was living in Whitechapel. Uh, he claimed to be a member of the military, but later admitted that he was not and was not drawing a p- pension from any <laughs> military unit. <laughs> I don't know what you it get just, out of that. That sounds like Victorian tax fraud, if you ask me. A lot of these stories are like, they just love to lie. <laughs> I they love to lie. Well. It's just like, I was in the military. Jokes. <laughs> Jokes. Just kidding. I was in the military. No, I only said I was in the military just for fun. Yeah, it was just for fun. Just, just for it's fun. just a joke, you guys. Honestly. I'm not actually, please don't send me to all. No, um, can you imagine? Oh my God. It's just a joke. So how, 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 talking to other soldiers, so how was your experience in the war? Oh, I didn't actually go. No, I didn't actually go. You guys actually went to that? That's so oh, funny. You guys were meant to go. <laughs> we were we, we actually meant to do that. Did, I didn't RSVP. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> So the soldier slash not soldier and Annie spent weekends together at Crossingham's. Annie didn't take to prostitution until after her husband's death, so obviously she lost um, the money coming in, the same kind of patterns. Prior to that, she lived off the allowance that he sat there and worked doing crochet work and selling flowers. In mid to late August of 1888, she ran into her brother on Commercial Road. She said she was hard up but wouldn't tell him where she was living and he gave her two shillings. Lovely man. That was was her life. She... um, was very hard up for money, living in these lodging houses, kind of seeing these men, working as a prostitute. She ran into the night watchman at the lodging house and she had a black eye and bruises and everyone was a bit like, what's going on? But then this is like the day that she dies. So this is the the 8th of September. So she returns to the lodging house at 1.35am eating a baked potato. Fair. <laughs> Honestly. Delicious. Fair. Very nice. She goes upstairs to tell the watchman that she hasn't got insufficient money for her bed and he he chastises her, said, you can find money for your beer, but you can't find money for your bed. So the drinking is clearly not going well. Uh, so she, she leaves and she goes towards Spitalfields Market. 
She's then not seen until 4.45am. John Richardson enters the backyard of 29 Hanbury Street on his way to work, sits down on the steps to remove a piece of leather that was protruding from his boot. Although it was quite dark at the time, he was sitting no more than a yard away from where the head of Annie Chapman would have been had she already been killed. He later testified to have seen nothing of extraordinary nature. Mm. At 5.30, Elizabeth Long sees Chapman with a man, hard against the shutters of 29 Hanbury Street. They're talking. Long hears the man say, will you? And Annie says, yes. Long is certain at the time she had heard the clock on Black Eagle Brewery, Brick Lane, strike the half hour she just turned onto the street. Chapman had a back towards Spitalfields Market and thus a face towards Long. The man had his back towards her. Uh, a few moments after the sighting, Albert Kadosh, a young carpenter living at 27 Hanbury Street, walked into his backyard. Why are all these people up at five o'clock in the Honestly, morning? That's my question. Probably working. Yeah. Probably working. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's crazy. <laughs> oh, oh, actually, the next sentence is, what could just back you up probably to use the outhouse? That's why he's... <laughs> <laughs> that's why he's... A, that's, why is he up at 5 a.m.? That's fair. <laughs> Passing the five-foot-tall wooden fence, which separates his yard from that of number 29, his voice is quite close. The only word he can make out is a woman saying no and then something falling against the fence. And his body was discovered at 6 a.m. by John Davis, a car man who lived on the third floor of number 29. So, quite a long night. So in terms of like the testimony and how she was actually found dead, she was found with a lot of weird possessions. Oh. I've not seen any of the notes on this, but she had striped woolen stockings, a neckerchief, three recently acquired brass rings on her middle finger, but then gone after the murder, so that suggests a robbery. Um, a small tooth comb, one comb in a paper case, and a scrap of em- envelope stamped with 28th of August, 1888. A partial address with, they only got the letter M, the number two, and the letter S. So no idea what the letter was helpful. for. Not very helpful. That could be for anywhere. Yeah. So, when she was found, the left arm was placed across the left breast, the legs were drawn up, the feet resting on the ground, and the knees turned outwards. The face was swollen and turned on the right side. The tongue protruded between the front teeth, but not beyond the lips. The tongue was evidently swollen. The front teeth were perfect, as far as the first molar, top and bottom. The stiffness of the limbs was not marked, but evidently commencing. He noticed that the throat was dissevered deeply, the incision through the skin was jagged and reached right around the neck. So, ouch. On the wooden paling between the yard in question and the next, smears of blood corresponding to where the head of her lay, about 14 inches from the ground and immediately but the part where the blood from the neck was laid. He should say that the instrument used at the throat and the abdomen was the same, a very sharp knife with a thin, narrow blade and about 6 to 8 inches in length, probably longer. He should say the injury could have been inflicted by a bayonet or a sword bayonet, as we've discussed. So, So it probably is. Hmm. Likely. Very interesting. Yeah, same weapon. Mm. The abdomen had been entirely laid open. The intestines, severed from their attachments, had been lifted out of the body and placed on the shoulder of the corpse, while from the pelvis, the uterus and its appendages with the upper portion of the vagina and the posterior two-thirds of the bladder had been entirely removed. I wasn't sure which victim had the womb removed because everyone... That's quite a well-known thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that he was did her. have a he did have a thing for like yeah, and taking you know out organs. Yeah, later there's a there's exactly. And yeah, you know what I did? I bad. have like heard before something about him, like people um like sort of guessing that he could have been a butcher because they were like nobody would because his like incisions were quite precise. Like he knew what he was doing, and people were like, how would you know what you were doing unless you had sort yeah. of been trained yeah, cause there was, and you had the right instruments. Yeah, butcher or doctor. Yeah, or doctor. Yeah. That was actually going to be my next... That was going to be my next thing. No trace of these parts could be 
found uh, and the incisions were cleanly cut, avoiding the rectum and dividing the vagina low enough to avoid injury to the cervix. Obviously, the work was that of an expert of one, at least who had knowledge of anatomical or pathological examinations. Yeah. There was another thing that said he himself could not have performed all the injuries, even without the struggle, under a quarter of an hour. If he had done it in such a deliberate way as would fall to the duties of the surgeon, it would have taken him the best part of an hour. Seriously. Uh, yeah. That's, that's Annie Chapman. Yeah. So I think we're on to the next ones now. Yeah, who's next? This is, this is the double... The, the double event. The double, double murder. Event. Double murder in a night. Let's it go. was intense. And, like, the weirdest thing, like, so many things that you both have said are, like, relating to this mm-hmm. ones as well. But basically, the first one was Elizabeth Stride. And something quite surprising about her is the fact that she's actually Swedish. Oh. Like, she was born in a little village in Sweden wow. in 1843 on the Swedish west coast. And she was, like, a farm girl. She worked on her parents' farm. And, like, because she had an older sister and two brothers... But obviously the women's education in that time was not taken as seriously. Like, all they kind of needed to know was, like, how to read the Bible and how to, like, sew and whatever. So whenever there was, like, busy seasons, because, like, her parents would grow food to be sold, they'd keep her and her sister off school to help with all the work. And then, like, a couple days before her 17th birthday, she decided she was just going to leave. So she went off to Gothenburg, um, where she worked as a maid for three years. And then she found some cheap lodgings. And then her mum died in, like, 1864. And then she drifted onto the streets after that. So she's kind of working as a prostitute in Sweden for a bit. But the thing is about Sweden is that they weren't really strict on prostitution. So, like, they kind of didn't really care. And so she was actually registered as a prostitute in Sweden. Yeah, because you can yeah, you can register as a prostitute. Yeah. So she was actually registered with the police and then the only thing they had to do was like go and get checked for like STDs and stuff like every now and again. And then it was like really difficult to get off this register, but she managed to get off it because some um person took her in as like a maid servant. Mm-hmm. But then she ended up leaving them after not too long, which I'm not sure quite why you would do that. <laughs> But yeah, and then after this, anyway, she found out that her mum had left her money. So then she used that money to do all the required paperwork work and get um, approved to move to London. Um, and then, so then she found work in Hyde Park with like a good family. But then because that she wasn't going to get paid for like three months and the money from her mum wouldn't last that long, she basically gave up that work like straight away and went to like the um, Swedish little community in London. Um, and then she got a little job there and she like on Saturday afternoon she'd have off so then she'd go walking around Hyde Park which is where she met John Thomas Stride who was almost double her age but we don't mind Um, and they ended up getting married on the Saturday the 7th of March in 1869 and they moved to the East End for cheap lodgings and opened up a coffee shop that's so cute but it sort of started to go a bit downhill. Yeah, from there we go. Yeah. Right, yeah, okay. Um, so I don't know why I was expecting no. it to be like, it's, it's I was like, oh, that's I nice. Know, yeah. I was rooting for it. Like, nice. she had a cute little story. Like, she, she'd gone herself out of the prostitution. Like, she had a little husband. But then they, like, the coffee shop wasn't doing well. The husband wanted the coffee shop. She did not want the coffee shop. Oh. She wanted a pub. The husband did not want a pub. <laughs> there we go. Um, so she was basically running the coffee shop whilst her husband was doing a little bit of carpentry. But she was her nickname there, like this is where she got the nickname Long Liz. 
And we don't know if that's because that she always had a long face because she was always just <laughs> she's miserable <laughs> because she's miserable. serving coffee and she Honestly. wants to be pouring pints. Yeah, that's what it exactly. Is. Fair. Or I feel if, that. Yeah. Or if it was because of her long strides. We're not what? entirely what? sure. <laughs> the girl's got a hell of a step to her. She's getting across London in no time. She's getting across. <laughs> That's so, so anyway. funny. But the funniest part is the fact that by the coffee shop, she was known as Long Liz, and by the um, people in the um, pubs, because she was a local to the pub opposite her coffee shop, of Obviously. course. Heavy drinker, oh, we've they... got a pattern going on <laughs> oh here. Oh my god, is she a heavy drinker? Yeah, 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 that yeah. is shocking. Honestly, she was known as Mother Gum oh. because of her lack of teeth. The the women that Gabby was talking about had really good teeth. Yeah, she, yeah, she actually not... had none. Nope, exactly. But then, so somewhere in this sort of time, I think they were married for about 12 years. I think I saw that somewhere. Then this seems to have been quite a confusing time because that within this time they had no children, but they'd opened three coffee shops which had all failed. And <laughs> oh my god! They'd, she wanted a pub, so they'd been arguing over that. He didn't like the fact that she was a drinker, but she was a heavy drinker. They'd moved into a house with two other families, but she'd often like come home drunk. And then, like a few days before Christmas, she left her husband. And then she um, had basically ended up in like an infirmary because that she had um, basically just exhaustion, really. Yeah, and she also had bronchitis, which, you know, not mm-hmm. great. Yeah, um, not... But also, in the mix of this somewhere, there had been a ship that had sunk in this time, the Princess Alice ship, right? Mm-hmm. And she decided it was a good idea to tell the people... The her and her family of, I think it was that she'd said she had nine children. She had none. <laughs> <laughs> what? You've really got a propensity for lying. Yeah. yeah. Her and her family were on this ship. Her husband has died <laughs> clutching her children. So two of her children and her husband have died on this ship. What? Why are they all on the ship? They weren't on the ship. Wait, what? The I'm children s- don't exist. <laughs> So, so so she's she's actually gone around and she's gone, do you know what's going to be fun? I'm going to tell everyone I've got nine kids. Well, actually, exactly. I've got nine kids. Oh, no, sorry, actually, I've only got seven because two of them died with yeah. my husband on this boat. Exactly. She got no kids. So her husband had, is yeah. alive. Uh, oh, and my she's God. Only had, she had one child throughout her life, but that was a stillborn, and that was before she was even married. So just, like, so she's going around to her because, get this, she wanted to claim the benefits of the widowers. Of these just imaginary people. Yeah. So she'd gone and claimed a body as <gasps> her husband. Stop. So she just went and was like, that's the one. Yeah, exactly. Oh my God. And she said that she's been left with seven children to look after. So she wants money from some fun. Oh my God. No children. No way. So anyway, she Crafty. carries on this yeah. lie for like years and years, despite the fact that she'd also appeared somewhere at some point with her husband being ill she's now got no work and she's living at 32 Flower and Dean Street which seems to be quite a repetitive lodging for her mm. which I've also noticed um, all of these women seem to be in the same lodging areas at the same time they could have very well have they been in the same lodging house oh definitely and, and then her husband actually died at 63 right. years old of heart disease and then she returned to prostitution which actually at this time was illegal in London mm-hmm. And because of that, she'd actually, like, she'd been caught 
prowling the streets and had had punishment. And, like, the punishment in this time for prostitution, she'd had hard labour. Like, this was a week-long hard labour. And uh, I was just shocked by this. Walking treadmill, which was basically constant moving steps, like, upstairs where her and, like, a bunch of women were put and they just had to constantly, constantly walk this treadmill. So it's, like, physical punishment. Yeah, like, Whoa. serious physical punishment. Maybe they were, like, trying to wear them out. So yeah. they were, like, you got no energy for, exactly. for prostituting now. Yeah, so... And at this, tired out. Honestly, That's crazy. And at this time, she decided she needed a man because, mm-hmm. you know, she needed yeah. support. Yeah. So then she found this Irish dock labourer and former army man, but I think this guy's a genuine former army man. <laughs> actual, actual former army man. Actual army yeah. man, so yeah. So his name was Michael Kidney, and they began to live together on and off, but their relationship was um, tumultuous. That's the correct word, I believe. <laughs> um, so they had, like, a common lodging on Dorset Street, but it was not a very safe place. Whenever he could get work, they sort of lived there on the dock, like whenever they he could get work on the docks. But he didn't like her constant drinking, so um, I think he said between the three years that they were living on and off together, they'd actually spent five months not living together, like overall. Right, yeah. Which is quite a long time. Um, and then there was like a, also quite a lot of abuse, but like they'd managed to get a room um, at 36 Devonshire Street but she got restless with this apparently and so she'd leave a lot and then she ended up sort of getting into a lot of problems she was actually in the magistrates court eight times between 1887 and 1888 of being drunkenly incapable and drunken and disorderly and I think using obscene language oh. so oh, yeah dear. Um, so then she had no choice but to walk the streets, but then she met this woman called Elizabeth Tanner, who said that she always had a place at 32 Flower and Dean Street. Now, we get to the night of the murder. <gasps> so at 6.30pm, her and this Elizabeth Tanner briefly visited their local pub, The Queen's Head. They then went back to their lodgings, and at 7.30 she left alone. Now, do you know what I found most interesting about this case? The fact that she was spotted so many times between that time and when she was actually murdered. Like, there's so many sightings. So, like, shortly before 11am, two labourers saw her, and they saw her with this man, right? Who, this description seems to have come up again. So, he was wearing a jacket, he was a short man, he had white dahlias pinned to the right lapel, he was had a clear, clear appearance, apparently. What does that mean? Do you know what, I'm not entirely He looks sure. like he does admin. Yeah, Maybe. Like a little bit nerdy. It was just like a geeky looking, really. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He had a dark moustache and then, this bit confused me, sandy eyelashes. And I'm just like, you saw his eyelashes? <laughs> <laughs> if, they were, if they were that sandy, they could yeah. be that sandy. Um, and they'd just come out of like the Bricklayer's Arms on Settle Street and they were stood in a doorway sheltering from the rain. And these bricklayers were, like, surprised to see them hugging and kissing. And so the labourer actually shouted to her, watch out, that's the leather apron getting around you. Now, the leather apron was basically, I think it was, like, a nickname for the murderer that had been committing these White House, Whitechapel murders because oh. he had left a part of his, like, leather apron next to his latest victim or something. Oh, my God. So I thought that was really interesting. Um, so, like, moments later, 
Um, they were seen hurrying towards Commercial Road at 11.45pm by a man called William Marshall and they were seen kissing and carrying on and he was also described as a clerk and he was described as English, wore a short black cutaway coat and a sailor's hat and they were walking Burner Street in the direction of Dutfield's Yard which is a dark narrow court. Then at some time before midnight a described as 35 year old squarely built at about um, five foot seven entered Matthew Packer's greengrocer's shop with a middle-aged woman wearing a dark dress and jacket with a white flower pin here they bought some black grapes and they crossed the road and stood in the rain for about half an hour like and the then notebook. at 12 30 <laughs> PC William Smith saw her standing in a gateway with a 20 year old man with a dark coat and a deer stalker hat um, carrying a parcel which was wrapped in newspaper and then about five minutes later she's been spotted so many times yeah, this woman yeah five minutes later she was seen um at fair cloud street standing with a stoutish man about five seven long black coat so we're thinking it's the same man every time yeah and she's saying not no not tonight some other night which is quite interesting Hmm. Um, and then, even more interesting, 12.45, he was seen again, and it was said that he attacked her, threw her to the footway. She screamed three times, but wasn't loud enough to be heard. Then, next thing, 1am, 15 minutes later, she was found by Louis D.M. Schutz, and he went and got, like, two other men. So he found her because he was had his little horse and cart going home, and it shied from something. So he like saw there was something on the floor and then like sort of poked it with his whip and then (laughs) (laughs) and then like realised that it was a woman. Went and got two other women and then they found that her throat was gash um, and her like mud was matted in her hair and her left hand was clutched to some cashew pills which I found to be pills that were taken to like um, cloud the scent of like smoking and alcohol which they oh. say that was possibly a gift by her murderer they think because that her body was so like it wasn't really anything done to it other than throat gashed they think that that might have been an interrupted murder like they heard the horse and cart coming and just left the scene yeah because it's really rushed isn't it yeah. and it's like yeah it's not like the others no exactly yeah, which i think was quite interesting because that then there comes along kate which is Catherine eddowes ah, here we which go. was the second murder of the evening and was after this so we're basically thinking that he got cut off halfway through this murder and moved on to his second murder of the evening now Catherine Eddowes was also not from London but she was from Wolverhampton she was born in um, April of 1842 and she had quite an interesting life because she her and her family walked 130 miles to find work in London and she had like a lot of siblings. I think it was eight children in her family. Whoa. Um, and, but then like her parents died when she was quite young. Like some of her siblings were taken to this workhouse and then to this children's home. And then like three of her sisters and one of her brothers were living um, in London. 
But then one of her sisters arranged for her to go and live with her aunt back in Wolverhampton. And she had been to school slightly, but, like, education wasn't even that important for women. Yeah. So then when she was 16, she went to live with her aunt Elizabeth in Wolverhampton, who treated her as her own. She had work there, um, living with their three children. And then when she was 18 years old, other women got jealous of her. And um, in her work, they accused her of stealing and she got sacked and then her aunt and uncle were so furious with her they then told her to pack her bags and kicked her out oh my god um oh so then god. she left for birmingham so now she's off to birmingham where she was for a bit with an uncle but she didn't really like that so then she returned <laughs> to wolverhampton to be with her grandfather but she didn't really like that either um so then she made her way back to birmingham um, where she met Irishman Thomas Conway. And they actually seemed to have quite a sweet life together. Like, they travelled around. She had his initials tattooed on her arm. Oh, yeah. so They had three children together. But I'm not sure if they were ever married. Like, it never said that they were married, but I think they must have at some point. Because they kind of had, like, like difficult life up to a point. Because they travelled around selling, like, pamphlets that he wrote, basically. But then they started to write them about, like, crimes. And oh, my God, they were true. Yeah, they liked true crimes. Honestly. Crime. And it was all about, like, murders and stuff, like, similar to what happened to her, which is quite bizarre. And then, so, they actually reported on a murder that was her cousin murdered his wife. So they reported on that, and that was, like, really successful. That got them a yeah. lot of money, and that started their, like, really successful career. And I thought it was really sweet how they um, they went, like, they hired a, a donkey and cart and went for Bilston. And um, when they got there, Conway ordered another 400 copies of the pamphlet and um, used the money to buy... A flowered hat from Woolies in Bilston High Street for Kate. Oh, I know. I thought that was so sweet. Um, They've got a very nice little life. Yeah, together. they do yeah. have a nice Writing little Writing that life. little murder pamphlet. Yeah, wearing nice hats. <laughs> Travelling by cart Traveling donkey. Travelling by cart donkey. That's how I'm trying They've to be got, for yeah. like two children at this point, and then they get have a third. Like they've got a cute Aww, little life going on. They've got a really nice little life. Yeah. Um, anyway, where does it all go yeah, wrong? Yeah, so it's starting that, that to maybe it might go, go downhill. downhill a bit now. So, um, yeah, so we don't really know anything about them for a couple of years, but then they sort of turn up again because the, it, one year in London, which, I mean, good for many, but not for them, public executions and hangings were abolished. Ah, so done. their work. What are they going to write those pamphlets about? <laughs> lost overnight. Really? Oh my so god! Not great. So then they had to cross the Thames for cheaper lodgings. It all kind of went downhill. Um, oh god! Not south of the river. Is that where they had to go? Yeah. Oh no! Oh yeah. no! Um, <laughs> How did they survive? Yeah, at this point, the drinking started. Uh, oh. oh, there's always drinking. Yeah, isn't there? he seemed not to be able to hold his liquor very well, mm. and he got very violent. So, yeah, I know. It went kind of downhill yeah. from here. God. He got violent, whatever. Started to beat her when this he got This is not the same man who was buying no, her flower not hats. the same no. man, is it? Um, and then, yeah, she, she was brought before the magistrate's court. They sort of broke up. She moved out. And she took... I think they must have had two daughters. 
I think they sort of lost the children because not all of them were registered. Right, so yeah. she took the two daughters with her, left the two sons with him, and they split up. Um, and then, at some point, she met this other man, and they seemed to have quite an on-and-off relationship. It was more of a companionship, in a way, because that they sort of worked together to sort of get beds at lodgings and stuff, which was quite sweet. Yeah. And then they, like, worked the summers in um, this sort of... Um, crop fields like out of the city which they really liked because they just work oh. like from dawn till 4pm and then they sort of camp out with other families in the barns oh. and oh. cook out it was quite sweet really I'm not exactly sure what happened to her children between this part but I think they've gone off to have their own life they live their own little life interestingly she still preferred to be known as Kate Conway right oh, despite so she still being with this new then. man yeah so yeah, um, but you know, after a while, they actually spent that summer in their little cornfields, loving, living life. But then, they'd spent the whole summer together. They kind of were arguing a little bit. So they went back to London, and this is where it all went very, very downhill. So she actually told somebody that she knew who the murderer was, and had come back to London to catch them. And she was told, basically, be careful. Which, you know, great so she advice. Was like, I'm gonna Good advice. She was yeah. like, I'm going to catch him. Um, and then she met her husband for a little brunch. And then she went off saying that she was going to find her daughter and ask to borrow some money and then be back by 4pm. She was not back by 4pm. She was found by police, drunk. And then she um, went, taken, arrested, to sober up. And then she was left back out onto the streets and basically under the impression that she would be going home. So uh, then at 1.35am, so she was released at 1am, 1.35am, Josephine Levy and Harry Harris saw her standing with a man at a junction street and church passage, had her hand on his chest, and he was described as about five foot seven, about 30 years old, medium build, fair complexion, moustache, Appearance of a sailor, salt and pepper coloured loose jacket, grey cloth cap with peak reddish neckerchief. So sounding quite familiar. Yeah. Sounding to very the man familiar. Of oh yeah. Elizabeth Stride. Nine minutes later, she was found by PC Edward Watkins in Meter Square, laying on her back in a pool of blood with her clothes thrown up around her waist. So literally nine minutes after she was seen, she was found dead. Which is like baffling. Because the the police officer had passed has been doing his round and passed through the same quarter half an hour before oh no, sorry, quarter of an hour before, and it was completely deserted deserted. So then he went and got a policeman that was on duty like a retired policeman on duty not long far away. He took one look and ran off for help. But it was so baffling because he had not heard a thing. And with like how much had happened to her you would have thought like she'd have screamed or something but laying close to her body they found three boot buttons a thimble a mustard tin and inside the mustard tin two pawn tickets and in the post-mortem it was described that her throat had been deeply cut her body mutilated half her uterus had been removed as lo- along with her left kidney her face had been damaged almost beyond identity. Her calves had been 
um, her cheek, cheeks sorry, had been carved of V-shapes pointing towards her eyes. Her eyelids had been nicked through, the tip of her nose sliced off, left earlobe had fallen out of her clothing when they'd removed it, oh. but no signs that she had had recent sex. Everyone basically described her as a really cheerful, kind-hearted person, and it had been like said throughout her life that she had an amazing singing voice, she oh. loved singing. Since she was young, she was described as so pretty, lovely auburn hair, but by the time she had died, she had like let herself go. At her funeral, interestingly, there were hundreds of onlookers, like so many people gathered. She was on like a hot horse and carriage being driven through the streets with her sisters and her husband following, like the original husband with mm-hmm. that had children with her. And as she drove through the streets, threats were being shouted against Jack the Ripper. Right. Which was quite interesting. Yeah. The public were really. Yeah, yeah. And then she was buried in like a communal grave and she had her coffin Mm -hmm. was donated to her because she didn't have much money, like completely at the cost of the coffin maker. Um, And then perhaps four to five hundred witnesses gathered to watch her burial and she was buried in a deep, unmarked grave which would remain open until 17 or 18 coffins were put in because they couldn't afford a named gravestone. Yeah, but yeah. yeah, so I feel like there was a lot of similarities between those and what had yeah. happened. Like, that was Catherine Eddowes. Now on to, this is, this is the last. This is the last one. This is the last this one. Is it. This is This is Mary Jane Kelly. <gasps> so she was described as quite attractive. Oh, nice. lovely. Quite yes. an attractive Good lady. for her. Yeah. Um, so it was said that she so she was like five foot seven and described as stout mm. her, she had blue eyes and a fair complexion but her hair her hair color has been described as blonde ginger light and dark <laughs> right. so we don't, yes to all we don't actually really know yeah what she looks like no <laughs> so, rainbow hair so cool. yeah so yeah. what we know about her is pieced together from what she told her lover, Joseph Barnett. Oh. But then also she's been described as a pathological liar. Oh, okay. So we're not too sure. So this seems to be a common they occurrence. Just, they love to lie. Are yeah. we just making crap up yeah. for no yeah. reason yeah. all <laughs> the time? So, just make life a little more interesting. Yeah. So she was Irish. Okay. She said she was born in Limerick, but never said whether this was uh, like the county Limerick or Limerick town. Okay. Oh. So we don't actually know. She had six or seven brothers <laughs> Somewhere around there. Yeah, and just one sister. And then when she was a child, her and her family moved to Wales, where her hey, dad. Hey, there you go, guys. Hey. Where her dad was a foreman in Carmarthenshire. Mm. Um, nice. And then at 16, uh, she married a, a, a collier, but he died in a mine explosion like oh, three years oh, later. So they weren't married for very long. No. And then she lived in Cardiff with her cousin. Her cousin who introduced her to prostitution. Uh-huh. Oh, thank I you, cousin. Yeah, yeah, thanks, cousin. Yeah. And then in around 1884, she moved to London. She worked as a domestic servant and she lodged at the Providence Row Women's Refuge in, you guessed it, Spitalfields. Oh, um, shocker. So Mary told quite a few stories about accompanying men to Paris. Oh. Um, like making the acquaintance of a French woman, dressing really well, travelling by carriage. That kind of fits the description of these. They, they were called they were called procurers. Okay. Right. But basically, what they did were was they were 
luring or sometimes abducting young women and girls and then they were like forcibly detained right. in legalized continental brothels oh okay so oh. What, they were, what they were doing is they were luring <laughs> young ladies in by being like we're gonna find you a really wealthy european husband and you're gonna have this, this you're gonna live this really comfortable life like mm. a life of luxury it'll be so much yeah. You'll like wear all these nice dresses, and everything will be paid for. You won't ever have to worry about anything. All you have, all you have to do is register as a prostitute with the foreign place, because mm. that because that's how we can get you yeah. to meet your husband. And then, and they were treated with they they were treated like not with luxury, but they lived quite comfortably mm. before. Yeah, they were before they were like sent to these brothels so it was like them being like this is what your life's going to be like it's going to be so lovely just sign here Mm -hmm. and say that you're a prostitute and then obviously it wasn't true well they were detained in brothels so when she tells these stories about like living a life of luxury and then having that and and then because obviously then she didn't live a life of luxury um she moved from the west end to the east end because people think because probably she was very anxious to avoid these men who she had most likely escaped from because they weren't just going to let her get away they would they would have been out looking for oh my her. god yeah yeah so that that is like because she appeared in the east end so suddenly just out of the blue it's like she like sprouted out the ground and so according to joseph barnett she'd lived with two men before him and even whilst living with Joseph, obviously they were together, she was interested in another man called Joe. Hmm. But she said that he ill-used her. Oh. That's her words. Oh. Because she lived with Joseph. Right. He didn't, he didn't like that. Okay. Um, her family, they were quite well off, quite well to do, but there were signs that they like didn't get on. Because her, hmm. her dad came to London and Joseph said that she hid from him. She didn't oh, want to, okay. like, she didn't want right. to see him or mm, anything. Okay. But his sister, uh, his sister spoke really highly of her. Okay. His yeah. sister, his sister loved her, oh. but I don't, so I don't know if it was, uh, like, her and her dad didn't get on, maybe because she was a prostitute. Maybe. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> that yeah, might have been. We think that'll do it, yeah. Yeah, we don't really know. Um, yeah, because you can't, you, you really just can't trust anything that she has said. No. She, because everyone That's said, crazy. um... She was described as a mythomaniac. Oh my god! Which is what they used to call pathological liars. Yeah, that's crazy. That's crazy. She was, a myth- she was a mythomaniac, where it was like all of the lies had to be really elaborate, and they would always contradict each other. I'm kind of obsessed with that. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of. That's kind of fun. Yeah. yeah it is. <clears throat> In 1888, Joseph Barnett and Mary Jane Kelly no longer lived together after Joseph lost his job and Mary had to turn back to prostitution. There we go. Although later he said that he moved out because Mary had left had let two different prostitutes stay in their room and he didn't like that. Yeah, right. It's like one bedroom. You yeah. only get one bedroom in the lodging house, most likely with one bed. And she's and now there's four of them staying in this room. Yeah, it's not yeah, okay. No. Not all the time, just for one night. But he said that she was good-hearted and did not like to refuse them shelter on cold, bitter nights. Aww. Wait, though. So he was like, he I was mean, like, yeah, I left her because she's letting all these prostitutes stay in our room, but she only did it because she's a nice person. Yeah. yeah like, it does not make sense, does it? 
around the time when she would have died, she was spotted. There's some of the last That's ones. The thing, so like, many... I feel like so many of them are getting spotted yeah. so often. Like, it just no, doesn't as in, make as any in sense. when she was dead, people were saying that they saw her. Oh. So people were like, well, the body can't be her because I saw her on, I saw her on the street. That doesn't make any sense. Apparently she was singing until three in the morning, although the only one person heard that and she was very drunk, you know? Hmm. Yeah. Um, Maybe they're all pathological liars. Yeah. I don't know who, yeah, I don't know who to believe anymore. So yeah. this murder is, it is like the most gruesome one. Okay. Right. So is this the last murder or do we yeah. know? I'm intrigued. Yeah, I feel like he was Tell me. So, I feel like I've heard that he was getting like a bit worse over time. Or yeah. Like, yeah. So Mary Jane Kelly was found in her bedroom at Miller's Court. Oh. On the bed. She was there, she was on the bed, and the officers at the site said her eyes were open and she had a look of terror. <gasps> so it was oh like God, she was like stop. frozen. And apparently there was not much left of her other than a skeleton. What? Stop. Where's the rest no. of it? Honestly. Her face was scarred and mutilated. The, uh, the, the telegraph from Scotland Yard read, found at 10.30am, a woman cut to pieces. And she literally was. I don't, know if, I don't know if you've, there's a picture, I don't know if you've seen the picture. Oh my god. It's really, obviously it's really old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you can see there's like blood <gasps> everywhere. I kind of do no. want to see the picture. Yeah. It's, it was in the book that I read. Okay. Philip Sugden, his book, Jack the Ripper, a, Com- a Complete History, it's called something like that. Oh my god. It's, really, it it's really gross, isn't it? It's bad. <gasps> oh my god. Her, Sorry, carry on. Her nose, cheeks, eyebrows and ears were partly removed. Her lips were blanched and cut by several incisions running down to her chin. Her neck was severed all the way round down to the bone but like left but um, like le- like her head was still on but it's but it been, had cut. been cut down to but the bone all the way around so her breasts were cut off one was under her head <gasps> like a pillow what? and the other was by her right foot and her heart had been removed <gasps> oh, oh so i remember oh this God. about oh. the heart yeah so her heart, heart been removed, removed and the the papers published a thing saying the heart was absent, which led people to think that he had taken the heart. Taken he had it. Oh. He had I don't know why they used the word absent, it was really misleading and everyone was like, Oh my god, he's taken this heart. Mm. Like he's kept it. When no, it was in the room. It was just not in the body. Absent from her body. Yeah. Right. Not from the room. Um her abdomen had been cut open and all of the organs had been removed yeah. and they had been placed all around the body. <gasps> what? What? So... What? And uh, that is how she was found. It was brutal. Brutal. She wasn't wearing any clothes mm. but the sheet was like pulled up like up to her like face so they thought maybe she'd been attacked in her sleep. Because she looked like she was asleep, um, but her hands were like in fists and kind of positioned as though she tried to defend oh herself. My God. She tried to fight back. Oh Obviously That's couldn't. Horrible. But it was said of Mary that she would not be in prostitution if she was able to survive another way. She often warned the younger girls in the lodging house, basically saying, don't turn out like me, don't oh. do this, try and get yourself off the street, try and try and yeah. survive another way mm-hmm. because she was she hated it she oh was she was God. miserable 
and she didn't want to do it, but she, there was no other way no. for her to yeah. for her to survive. Mm. Um, and yeah, she was described as a really good-hearted person. As we saw before, you know, she was letting yeah. the girls who didn't live in the lodging house letting them stay in her room mm. when it was really cold. Yeah, yeah, and um, yeah, she was really, really trying to get all the young girls to oh my to God. find jobs so somewhere else. Yeah. So it was yeah it was said despite yeah, despite her tendency for lying, <laughs> yeah. Jane Kelly was described as being a good husband. Generally, kind of a really nice. So that is the life and times of the victims of Jack the Ripper. Yeah, yeah. Um, I feel like I've learned so much. I feel like, like I've learned a lot. Yeah. Like, and I feel like it's so important to like actually know about the victims. Yes, you don't really know much about them other than actually Jack the Ripper. This yeah. is what I wanted to say. I think if we've you know. If anyone's listened to this, yeah. <laughs> maybe, uh, and you guys enjoyed it, then you know I do think it's important that we yeah. are talking about, especially because you know they're women. Yeah, they exactly. are women who are grouped together um, because of one thing they have in common, and that is just like one really terrible end. And you yeah. know they were drunks and they were prostitutes. That's all anyone thinks about them. But actually, they all have lives. Yeah, they all had very and they all have and like all difficult lives. And they were all good people. Yeah, they all like I have not heard had one like heard of one of these women who have had bad exactly things said about them. Like yeah. they all seem like such lovely women. It's just circumstances of life. And um, was there any choice? Yeah, so thank you for listening. Yeah, thank, thank you, you very much. Listening. I hope if you, you yeah. learned something. Yeah, and uh, if you want to join us next time, we're going to be talking about the Salem Witch Trials. <gasps> yes. I'm so excited about that. I'm so excited. So, like, I want to learn. Yeah. yeah. So thank you. Yeah, thank Bye. you so much Bye. for listening.